Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Today will be somewhat of a wild ride, I'd imagine. So if you'll strap in and get ready, I want to talk about this truth of the essence and nature and person of who God truly is. And even the first thing we see God doing in the book of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said something, the first thing recorded that we have in Genesis 1, verse 2. You know what that is? Let there be lights. Yeah. This is the play of the family of God. And God saw the light that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, separate be your name. Separate be the name of the Father of lights from all of the darkness that has been attributed to you. This is our job. This is the Lord's prayer but it is the house's prayer. This is the family's prayer. John, arguably the closest to the Lord, the only one that went through the cross, if you will, right? Jesus looks down, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. In other words, take care of my mom when I'm gone. John, the only one that stayed by him, ran off at first, but he came back, ends up seeing Jesus in what we see as the book of Revelation. Obviously falls like a dead man at his feet. You know, this is, I am the ancient one, you know, all these wonderful things. John comes back and writes John 1, which is the same as Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Where we have Genesis 1, which says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John wants to create and and write a major point for everyone to see that Jesus is actually God. Spoiler alert, today's message is that God is not the devil. And it's like, oh, that's funny. It's a clever thing for a preacher to say, you know. It's not even trying to be cute. It's a real thing that people believe all over the world. It's a theology. It is probably a majority theology of what many people think about God. But God is Jesus, and Jesus is not the devil. And sorry to the Jehovah Witnesses that think Jesus and Satan are brothers. He's not the devil's brother either, (laughs) you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning was God, like Genesis 1, yes, but also the Word was there as well, with God. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and also was God, simultaneously. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That's John 1.3. So in the beginning God created the world, Genesis 1. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created through Him. John, verse 1, 2, and 3 of his first chapter. So it's like you have the same thing being said, but with a higher revelation of who God is. And it says, The light shines in the darkness. In Him was life, and His life was the light of men. John 1, 4, and verse 5. And His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it or does not comprehend it, some of your translations will say. The same exact thing that he does first thing in the book of Genesis, he says, let there be light, and he separates the light from the darkness, and he calls the light good. The very exact same thing that the Creator, God, and the Word of God, who is with God, who is also the Creator, Jesus, the Son of the Father, whose Father is God and also is God. I know, it's a great mystery, somewhat of a mind-bender. But the first thing that it says of him is that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness Boom. It doesn't comprehend it. It does not overcome it. So there in Genesis 1 and there in John 1, we have the exact same thing being written. There is a distinction between what is light and what is darkness, what is of God and what is not. And the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, separate be your name from the darkness that's been attributed to you. The fullness of who God is, right? We talk about like Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. It's like, In times past, God spoke through the prophets. We have this wonderful book, this Old Testament. But in our time, he has spoken to us 
in the language of son. We speak in English, God speaks in son. The son is everything of the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, he says, yeah. You know, there's no God behind Jesus' back. Colossians says Jesus is the fullness of deity embodied. Everything that Jesus is, God is. There's no variance or shadow or turning or changing, James says. James, Jesus' little brother, actually, half-brother, most likely, right? Who recognizes him as God. Jude, his other little half-brother, who recognizes him as God. Jude says his older brother led the Israelites out of Egypt. Amazing. So today, I want to I drive that point home, what else is new, right? That's my life's message. That's all the sons and daughters' message that it's supposed to be. God is good. God is light. In him there is no darkness. We are the poster children of this message. This is the good news. But I want to preach this good news through a book that's seldomly used to preach it. And you might think it's called Job, but it's called Job. You know? Have you ever... Has, can I have a raise of hands some audience participation? Anybody read Job before? Yeah, the majority, wow. Um, have you ever heard of all the mean things that God, Job, God did to Job? Man, it's hard to read Job if you think that way, isn't it? Hmm. Well, surely God has some other side if he did old Job like that. Maybe it's just an allegory. No. We're going to read Job. It's over 40 books. Before you get worried about that, we're gonna, it's going to be pretty, you know, I'm not going to read Job. Um, but before we read Job, there's something that James in the New Testament said about Job that I think is very important for us to see. Just one verse that he uses, talking about, he's the guy that talks about rejoicing in tribulation and in trials that you go through the pressure of this life, knowing that it's not to disqualify you, but it's actually to actually bring you into a greater place of faith. You know what I mean? But James says something in James 5, verse 11, and he says this, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. He's talking about tribulation or trial or pressure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end in other words, he's talking to this audience that reads Job like, like a play or like a movie. Because that's what Job really is. They didn't have emotion pictures, you know what I mean? But Job is a play. It is a playwright. It is a script. It is a movie. Was Job real? Was his life real? I, I believe it was. Some scholars think it wasn't and it's allegorical. But I believe that it was all what is real and, and it's very interesting. But it, even the way that it's written, it's... To this very day, by people that aren't even Christians or Jews or believers, it's considered to be a masterpiece of literature. Uh, people that even reject it's, that it was historically, you know, divinely inspired. It's, it's a masterpiece of literature. It's known to be the oldest book in the Bible. Um, just because the, it's, you know, the way it's written, it's got a prologue. It like kind of says what the story is in the setting in the first couple chapters. It's got, you know, and then it's got all these poems really and all this articulation between job and his friends of all this communication back and forth almost like you're watching a play watching an act and then at the end there's a fourth friend that shows up and he gives his take and then the boss shows up god himself and answers for himself and then we see the grand finale of what the result is of the book of job but james who happens to be canonized scripture for us James 5.11 is talking to us like we've seen Job without this picture of it being this mean, bully, bipolar, angry God that does all this stuff to Job just to make a point. He's, he's playing a gambling, rolling dice, uh, having a bet against the devil and tormenting Job. Instead, James is saying, hey, you've seen, you've read the end of the book of Job, right? You've watched that play. And you've seen the end that was intended by the Lord. You catch what I'm throwing? Try, try to stay with me in it. It's like, you've seen the end that was intended by the Lord. So that shows you, hey, the way Job ends is the way God's plan actually was. That's what he's saying. 
That's what's there. And so Job begins, I tell you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a ride, so give me a second. But Job begins and it says, there was this man in the land of Uz named Job. Seven sons, three daughters, incredible amounts of possessions. He was very wealthy. He was extremely successful according to the, you know, the measures of the world. But it says something in verse 4 that his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on their appointed days. And they'd invite their three sisters and they would eat and drink with them. So the wording with that, with that this ancient book, is already, there's already things to see and read between the lines. There was a point of day. So these are festivals. These are feasts. These are, these are not the Jewish feasts. There is no Jewish feasts. There is no um, law yet. Abraham and Job are arguably potentially around the same age, right? So there's no covenant with the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who becomes Israel and nation and, and Levites and priests and tabernacles and rituals and the lamb. That was, there's none of that. There's no revelation of who God truly is. There's just the earth, which was once Eden, or, or the earth wasn't Eden, but Eden was in the earth. Adam had the keys to the kingdom to actually be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, stretch Eden over the earth, but he gave the keys away by obeying the Nakash or the serpent, what we know as Satan, right, in the very beginning. And so the world is, is covered with things and beings and, and such that nobody really has much of a revelation of God, but for some reason, Job has this righteous um, integrity towards God. Very successful, has all these kids, but his kids are involved with, even the wording is kind of obscure, it's like these circular um, festival types of parties that moves from house to house amongst his lineage. It's where they're throwing these deals, and um, they would all get together, and it says, so it was, in verse 5, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify his kids. He would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that the sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So thus, Job did regularly. We're already starting to think, like, what were these kids into? You know what I mean? This isn't like just like, you know, backwoods, Baptists, you know, well, they were just drinking beer and drinking beer and said a few curse words, said GD, and he had to go, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we're not even thinking this way. There was no law. There was no rule or regulation. This is concerning cursing and blessing and, and God or Elohim. And we're going to have to really go into that. So just kind of strap yourselves up because that's going to happen. So Job's constantly trying to cover for whatever his kids are releasing in the earth, Right? He's constantly having these burnt offerings, constantly having these sacrifices because he feels like they're getting in alignment with something that's very dark and he's trying to protect them. We can all see it now, yeah? Okay, so the Lord says, uh, or it says, there was a day when the sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also comes before them. Now that word Satan, the Satan, the accuser, the prosecutor, the accuser, this is a courtroom setting. Another thing to remember when we're talking about the story, this is very much legal terminology, courtroom setting. Um, it's divine counsel stuff. That's what this is. And we must understand the divine counsel. One, to understand the, the world history of our planet, of the world, of God, of the sons and daughters of light. Um, but two, to understand Job, which you know, kind of goes hand in hand. So the Lord says to Satan, hey, where, where, where are you coming from? To which Satan answers, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. It's the domain of uh, where he's at. He's been given the keys by Adam. Remember when Satan met up with Jesus in the wilderness, what did he say? He's like, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Couldn't give him Israel, but I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth because he knew he was the messianic king, most likely. Just bow down to me. Jesus is like, no, ain't, ain't doing it. You know, something like that. You know what he said. All right, so, you know, he said, you know, <coughs> thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall, shall you serve. Anyhow, so the Lord says, Satan's, I'm going to and fro th throughout the entire earth. This is an accusatory courtroom 
to which the, the Lord brings up Job. Have you considered Job? There's none like him in the earth. He's blameless and he's upright. One who fears God and he shuns evil. Satan answers and he says, does not Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and around all that he has on every side? Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his possession? I, I, I guarantee you, now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Interesting. To which the Lord says to Satan, Behold, all that he has is actually in your power. Only you do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan goes out from the Lord. That's a very interesting chapter. A lot of times I think people look at this stuff, well, well God gave permission. God started this bet with, with Satan. He's... He's doing this to test and all these, all these naughty things. But what I'm seeing here is this is a courtroom of the sons of God. The gods, the Elohim of the Old Testament. That's what the word really is, if you understand the history. And they show up before God and there's this accusation being made. He's like, well, have you considered Job? I'm going through everywhere. He's like, the whole, earth, the whole world is, is basically after, their, after themselves. They're living for themselves. He's like, there's one man who has great integrity and I'm very proud of him. You know. To which Satan's like, yeah... He, the accuser does what he does to manipulate. What does he say? He only lead, follows you because of what you do for him. There's nobody on this earth. You've created them in their, in their image. I know what happened to Adam. I can deceive any single one of them. Nobody loves you. Nobody follows you. It's just because you, you baby them, you bless them, and that's the only reason he's, he's doing anything. So, so why don't you put your hand out and smack him and see what happens? Now, we know the reality of Jesus, the, the fullness of deity embodied, God in the flesh, the good shepherd. He's coming in John 10, stuff that we drill on a constant basis. I've come to give life. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and, to, and destroy, not me. There's a, God is dividing light from darkness. It is not even in God's essence, person, or nature to strike Job. But, but the, the accuser is trying to, to, to provoke. He's trying to accuse him and to manipulate God into doing something that God doesn't do. He's like, strike him and see what happens. Just strike him. In other words, be like me. I bet you won't do it. You just know, that, you just know he'll, he won't serve you just like everyone else. Nobody wants to serve you. Nobody wants to follow you. I have the whole world in my hand. I'm the principality and power of the air of this place. I've been given the keys. He's, he's all this prov prov provoking manipulating, accusing towards God, to what does God say? He's in your hand. He understands like, hey, do what you're going to do, but do not touch his body. He's in your realm. You have the keys to that place. Not me. That's not what I do. So what ends up happening? Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking and they were in the older brother's house. A messenger comes to Job. Hey, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them. The Sabians raided them and took away and indeed they've killed the servants with the edge of the sword. Like, I'm the only one that's escaped. It's like, whoa. All of a sudden, Job's businesses are getting struck at. They're being attacked. While he was still speaking, another person comes in and he says, the fire of God, it fell from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants. It consumed them. I, I'm, I alone have escaped to tell you. The fire of who? That says God. That's weird. The fire of God fell down and, 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 and it's like, wait a second. Did, did God send fire and destroy these people? Or did he say, Satan, this is, in, this is your domain. You do what you're going to do. It's, it's not a trick question. Who did it? Who caused the death? Yeah. Was the fire from God. So, so because somebody said, hey, the fire of God, because somebody running with, without a revelation of who God is and said that, well, it's in our Bible. It's like, yeah, it's in our Bible, a history that somebody came and said that. Does that mean God's the one that did it? No. Of course not. Because we've seen God speak in the Old Testament through the prophets, but now he's spoken in the language of a son. And we've seen everything that's been thrown upon him. Can you see the one whose beard's ripped out, who's getting beat on our behalf, who refuses to strike back and only releases, God forgive them, they don't know what they're doing because they don't know who I am. Is he throwing fireballs and cursing Job? 
While he was still speaking, another came and said the Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and, and took them away and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. Like, man, everything Job has is being totally attacked. While he was still speaking, your sons and your daughters are eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and all of the young people are, are dead. All your kids were together and they all got wiped out. To which Job arises, tears his robe, shaves his head and falls to the ground and worshiped. And what does he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. God is just, God is the destroyer and he's destroyed all my stuff and he's killed my kids. But I refuse to curse him. That's integrity. But it's, it's very much misplaced belief in who God is. Very, very much misplaced. And I know that many people have been to church their whole life and they've heard that song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. You know what I'm saying? I know that people have heard that and thought that that was worship. But that is a demonic fallen view of God that's been provoked and enticed and sown into mankind through the knowledge of good and evil, which origin is, is, is Satan himself to provoke people to thinking that they should accept both good and from evil from God as if God is the author of this darkness. And it's not there. And we're going to see all about that in this actual book, let alone in the reality of Jesus coming and manifesting who God is. Another thing that we have to understand here, um, and I, maybe I'll do like a three-minute deal or two-minute deal on this, because we've kind of taught this thoroughly, is, is the understanding of the sons of God in these books and the divine counsel of God. You know, I just, I love Michael Heiser's work. You know, he's done something for the translation of the Bible and the understanding for scholars all over the world. And he passed away this past year, but that I think more than anybody in our lifetime, you know, and now seminaries and Bible colleges and stuff all over the world are using his stuff because of how, how well he's brought a lot of this to light. But just concerning the way the ancient Near East and the language of this Old Testament is taught and explained concerning this divine counsel, this, the Psalm 82 of where the gods, the thrones would be put together and God's throne would be brought in and he would speak to the Elohim and, and all these terminologies where we talk about like Genesis 6, where the sons of God created this huge violation, right? This, this great rebellion, another rebellion, aside from what Satan did, obviously before Adam was around, this other great rebellion and where the sons of God came and mated with the daughters of women um, and, and daughters of men and, and created their own race of people, these Nephilim, these giants, these, these people that were part Elohim or angel and part human. And, and this all results in all the seed wars of the book of uh, Joshua and, and in all of Moses' fights and all these different things, the people squatting in the promised land and the giants all the way to like Goliath and his brothers and all these Nephilim. But when you understand these things and you understand their origin and you understand like the Tower of Babel where mankind was, was united once at this pinnacle point of humanity where they were actually demonically inspired and they were trying to build this stargate, this tower, this temple, this place, this ziggurat that would be a, a, a stargate, if you will, into the heavens. That they would like, I will build this tower and we will make a name for ourselves. We will exalt ourselves like the Most High. We will you know, enter into the Spirit on our own. And how God actually confused the language of mankind and how he scattered all the people. And that's where all the languages come from in Genesis 10 and the table of nation of Genesis 11, all over the, all over the world. And, and Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 is very clear about that. Like the world at Babel was divided according to these sons of God, these 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 lesser, the sons of God, this council that he's talking about, these Elohim, these beings scattered all over the earth. This, they were scattered according to the number of the sons of God, the boundary set of all these nations and all these pagan gods and all these false deities and all these things. I know that's a lot if you haven't been here, if you haven't studied this stuff, but maybe rewind that and listen to those verses and look at them for yourself. It's pretty, it, it all ties together really simply and well. Um, and we understand this. There's this divine council. There's these, these Elohim, these gods, these, these beings that come around. We call them angels sometimes. 
and they go into these courtrooms that, that Job is actually describing, that Ezekiel describes, that Isaiah describes. I'm a man of unclean lips when he showed up in there. You know, like all these different places that we see in the book of Revelation, the thrones and dominions, the principalities and powers that the Apostle Paul talks about. We're talking about these things, these beings, these people that, 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 that institute this demonic agenda and, and try to throw shade on God's name to cause people not to actually align with him. So that's, that's, that's more than a mouthful right there, I would, I would have to say, and it's a lot. But it's important to know these things when we're looking at the book of Job and we're seeing this counsel that shows up. The sons of God, they come and they present themselves before the Lord himself. And then the accuser, or the Satan, is the way it's kind of written. Michael Heiser does a beautiful job with that. This one that's like this prosecutorial accuser that comes, and he's finding fault, and he's finding division. And it happens all the way even through the New Testament. Satan comes, right? Jesus tells Peter, like, hey, Peter, Satan's actually asked to actually sift you, but I've prayed for you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like what did you just say? Like Satan, like the bad guy, the main one, he's targeting me. Yeah, but I've prayed for you that you would, you know, that you're, you're going to not abandon this faith. You're going you're gonna to come through this, this, this reality. And so Jesus on the earth is talking as if God in heaven and there's this divine counsel and he's seen this accuser come and demand an inroad to come after Peter. Okay, so that's a lot. But we see the story. We see the counsel. We see the perversion or something that, that, these, that his sons and daughters were in. When we, look at, when we look at Job, it's like, hey, and that's another thing. When you look at all, a lot of these commentaries, when, when God's talking about, Job, when, when you're reading uh, Job 1, like 4 and 5, when it talks about how Job's sons and his sisters would go and, and have these festivals that, and their appointed days, and it would kind of go between them and between their houses. They were, they were a part of something that was dark, having to do with these other gods, I would imagine. And um, that when the days were fulfilled, Job would come sanctify them and offer burnt offerings because it says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. But the real wording of that, the original wording of that, is that my sons have sinned and blessed Elohim in their hearts. And that word Elohim that's been generically placed for God, who is Yahweh and the Most High, in our Bible, sometimes it's not translated correctly, and right there it's Elohim, it's God, that they've come and blessed, they've come and united themselves to something dark other than the one true God. That's what's going on here. Yeah. That, again, you feel like you're in a classroom right now. I know it's, it's a lot of information, but I think this is really uh, pertinent because, uh, yeah, because I'm a nerd, but also because it's very valuable. So that's, they're on the dark side. Satan comes and demands God to actually strike them. And God's like, uh, no, that's, that's you. That's you. That's what you do. That's not what I do. And they're in your realm. But don't you take his life and don't you strike his body. So he's, he can't get God to do it. He can't accuse him so that he can say, see people, this is what he's like. But he still comes and he does it. And he still has messengers showing up. God sent his fire down from heaven. It's like, no, he didn't. You, you, Satan did that. The accuser did that. To which Job, he's got integrity, but he's misplaced in his, in his prayer towards God. Well, the, God, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He might have even said it just like that song goes. He gives and takes. Probably not, because he ain't lame. You know, but, you know, it's just like he gives and he takes away. And, and so instantly he has this, this accusation or wrong perception of who God is that's based out of fear. He's already been in fear trying to cover his kids. You know, this whole entire time because he looks at God a certain way. And so you have these, uh, well, we have another one in chapter two. Boom. They come, they present, the, the sons of God come into this council to present themselves before the Lord. The accuser, the prosecutor, the, that attorney, Satan, he comes among them with his accusation. From where do you come from, Satan? From going to and from the earth, from walking back and forth on it. Have you considered Job? There's nobody like him in the earth. He's blameless and he's upright. He still holds fast to his integrity, although you enticed me against him to destroy him without a cause. The wording there again, although you've attacked him and made him think it was me, he's still not cursing me. I told you. I told you. He's still not cursing them. Although you have made people think that God is the devil, this man, he doesn't believe that I'm you. Or, or even though you've enticed him, he's still not cursing me. That's integrity. But Satan answers like, yeah, but skin for skin. Stretch out your hand. 
and his bone and his flesh. Strike him. Give him sickness. And he'll curse you to his face, to your face. Is God the author of sickness and disease? No. Did we ever see Satan, uh, uh, Jesus throw a disease on somebody? No. We saw him reverse a whole lot though, didn't he? Every single person that came to him and asked for it. Not a single one was denied. You know? Not a single one. He healed every person that called, came to him. My favorite one is the leper. They're all my favorite. But he comes up and says, hey, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus actually reached out and touches a leper, which is so gross and so illegal in that time. That would have made him be unclean. But what did Jesus say? He reaches out and touches them. I am fully willing. Not willing, willing. Sorry. I'm fully willing. Yeah. I am fully willing. If you're willing, it's not that you can you do it, it's, it's it, do you, would you want to do it? I am fully willing. That's who I am. Who are we seeing there? If you've seen me, you've seen who? Jehovah Rapha, the Father, yeah, the healer. He was always the healer, even in this story. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Miss Bonnie. That's right. He's always the same. He's always good. He separates the light from the darkness. We have what we believe about Him manifest in our life. That's, that's the way. That's the one. That's what faith is. Strick out, stretch out your hand and strike Him. Give Him sickness. So what did God say? That's you that does that. I'm not you. What is this play showing us? What is this writing showing us? Like, no, 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 no. That's in your realm. You've got the keys to that realm. God has yet... God is in, possibly in the process of calling. Remember, the Tower of Babel, the, the nations divided according, the nations were divided according to the number of the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, these, these Elohim. The nations were divided according to all these rebellious false gods. But God picked one person. He said, I'll be the God of his nation. What was the guy's name? Abram. Yeah. I'll be the God of Abram. I'll start with this one guy. And by the way, he's an old man, and I'm going to give him a bunch of kids. What? <laughs> That's how I'm going to start my nation. So you know. So you know what's up. And that's what he does. You know, he starts with Abram, who's, who's probably around the same age. He lived at the same time as Job in a different area, most likely. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that hasn't happened yet. And Abraham didn't have Isaac. Didn't have, you know, you know the, the twins and, and, and Jacob and Esau. And Jacob wrestles around with Jesus. And the angel of the Lord and becomes is, named Israel. And, and, and all, these, all these realities and all these truths about who God is, and then the priesthood happens, and then the tabernacle happens, and then, the, then Yom Kippur, hey, there's the scapegoat, and here's the lamb, and all these different things. And these stories that we have from, from like the book of Enoch that actually reads with the book of Genesis 6 and tells the story through the lineages of Genesis 6. And then we have Leviticus come, and the sacrificial lamb, and like, hey, we're going to sacrifice this lamb on Yom Kippur, and on the other goat, we're going to lay our hands on all, this, all the sin of the people will be attributed to that goat and we'll send it out to the wilderness, right? Leviticus 16, we'll send it out to the wilderness to Azazel. To Azazel? Yeah, the King James will call it the scapegoat because it's kind of an awkward thing to say, but it's the name of one of those fallen Elohim from the book of Enoch that was the leader of that rebellion of Genesis 6. And Azazel, or that all the sins would be attributed to him. And what would it do? Every year it would protect God's people, the nation of Israel, from all the illegal attacks of the enemy. But Job hasn't stepped into that yet. He doesn't have that revelation. He's, in a sense, he's just working through knowing God. And so it's, it's kind of a, to be honest, it can be somewhat of a painful book to read. But like Job <coughs> goes back and forth. His three buddies come to talk about him. They hear all this bad stuff that's happened to him. But they pretty much start to accuse him because they're, they're so poisoned with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're like, Job, you did something wrong to get all this done. God's doing this because, you know, there's the knowledge of good and evil and surely you're not upright and have integrity because God doesn't just smack people like this for no reason. The answer is that God doesn't smack people at all like this, that it was the devil, but they're actually trying to figure out this knowledge of good and evil and they're practically accusing Job and it lasts for so long. Which Job, as it says, he holds to his integrity, but he says a lot of real savage accusatory things about God. The whole time. And it's just like, he, he, he holds to his righteousness like Job 9.20. It 
It's like, though I am in the right, my mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Like, I know that I haven't done anything wrong. And he's calling out to the Lord. He's trying to talk to him. He's like, but even if, even if he ever did talk to me, which he wouldn't, he would probably twist it and say, I did something wrong. He starts getting so bitter, you know what I mean, and negative towards God. He's like, I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It's all one. I say this. God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, God laughs about it. That's Job 9, 23. 24, he says, The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. God covers the face. This bad stuff, it happens. It's the way it is. It lines right up with his first prayer. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going to curse him. He gives and he takes away. He does what he wants. He's God. Don't question him. He does what he wants. He deals people a bad hand. He doesn't care if you're good or not. This, everything comes from him. A fallen, demonic view of God that seems good. I mean, there's integrity because he won't curse God. But it seems like, shall I not ex expect good, accept good from the Lord and evil and adversity? I'm going to accept it all as if it's God. I'm going to try to have... I'm going to try to have integrity and move forward. And man, that sounds really good. But what's wrong with it is it's attributing things to God that God did not do. And he does not do. And by living with that set of beliefs, we accept things that God's given us authority to reject from our life. And that's what faith actually is. You know? And Job, I mean, it's, it's a tough read. It's a tough movie to watch. Until the end. If you're watching this like a play, the, the, the three buddies are going back and forth like, no, nah, you done did something. Your hand's been in the cookie jar somewhere. You've got to have, he's like, I have not. You know, Job 13, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me known my transgression and my sin. He's saying this to God. Like, please talk to me about it. Don't hide your face from me like an enemy. Are you going to frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? Like, hey, are you just a big bully to somebody that can't even do anything to you? But that's how people think of God. You're just a big old bully. And we, you're, you know, just that mean bully kid at his little ant farm. <laughs> you know, frying some of them with his magnifying glass, you know. You write bitter things against me and you make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in stocks and watch all my path. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Like, he's saying this to God. But he's holding on to it. And he's like, but I still ain't going to curse you. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go into that. This is just who you are. Job 19. He's walled up my way so that I can't pass. He's set darkness under my path. I thought the, Lord is, the word of the Lord is a lamp and a light unto my path. That's what the true word is. He's like, no, he darkens it. He messes it up to teach me a lesson. He stripped me. From my glory and taking the crown from my he breaks me down on every side my hope is pulled up like a tree he's kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary so this is job's you, you know if you're watching this movie like you're sitting there eating your popcorn like dang this dude's having a tough time and he's just debating with these r religious uh leaders that are preaching this bipolar god because they're not having to go through it so they're trying to help him get out of it using the best knowledge of good and evil they can. Surely there's something. Surely there's something. Like, he gives and takes. You know, they're still they're cramming that religious machine gar jargon down his throat. But it's like he can't deal with it. It's like, this, this isn't real. This isn't him. And he's like, no, I have not done these things. He just gives and takes away. And he's mean and he's a bully. But I'm not going to sell him out because he's the only way. Hmm. Man. 32, another guy shows up named Elihu. He's younger than all of them. And I feel like this guy, he kind of gets it a little bit better. He starts, he's like, hey, I've been holding my tongue, but it's boiling up within me. This, the advice these guys are giving you is bad. Um, um, but listen, you've spoken these things in my hearing, <laughs> saying you're pure without transgression, innocent and all this stuff, that he finds occasions against you and counts you as his enemy and all this stuff. But look, in this, you're just not right. That's not the way he is. That's not the way God is. You've got him twisted. You've got him wrong. Now, Elihu doesn't have the full revelation, you know, but he's still there and he's still confronting Job and he's like, listen, you're righteous in your own eyes and you're coming at God sideways 
but I think you're seeing him through a lens that's not accurate. And the beautiful part of this story is God actually shows up next. And, I, and this one I love. And I was, I've, I've had several, I've had several, there's several people that teach Job in such a profoundly good way. Dan Muller probably does it the absolute best. He's probably my favorite. I think he does an absolute wonderful time. There's a guy, there's a guy named Gary um, Cassis up in Ohio. He does a really great job of it as well. Um, Michael Heiser obviously had some re- really good insights. But when I was, um, this is probably 2004, 5, 6, somewhere in there, probably near 20 years ago, I got to hear this old British man. I don't even think he's, know if he's still alive or not. His name was Neville, Neville something. I think Neville Johnson. He was speaking at the church that I was at. And he gave a perspective about Job and God talking to Job through the lens of Jesus Christ that I remember opened my eyes instantly to this book, like, wait a second, this book is not what I thought it was. There's something different going on here. And, um, but all these guys, they've really contributed to this. The understanding of Job, and it's, it stands very well, but God actually shows up finally and starts to speak. And he comes to him in, in Job 38, and he speaks, it says, out of a whirlwind, which is strange. We know, we know that Nahum 1 says that God has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And so the whirlwind shows up, which, which from the outside looks like destruction and terror and fear. But it was actually God moving into his life and rearranging things and introducing himself to Job. But God shows up, the Lord shows up, Yahweh, and answers Job out of this whirlwind. You know, Elihu said, hey, he does not oppress people. He does not oppress people. That's how he finishes up and God shows up. And he says this to Job, and I think it's real interesting. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. And I love that. Job has said all these, these, drast, these drastically incorrect things about God. He literally starts, the Lord gives, and he takes away. He's both good and evil. He is the destroyer and he's the healer. He binds and he heals. You know, all, all, these, all these perceptions of God, you know. And God shows up and says, who is this that darkens counsel with words of that? Who is this saying all these things that they do not know? Who is this proclaiming all these things about me that are so drastically incorrect? Now stand up and let me introduce myself to you. You know, and you see Job 38, 39, and he goes through and he's telling him all these things. He's telling him about creation. He's telling him about um, the behemoth, the ox, you know, the, you know all, all these different really cool things, the Leviathan, all these creatures um, that have so many ancient Near East, Near East symbolism, but for time, and we're not doing all that right now. And he explains to himself, his person, what he does and who he is and how he's done it. Um, and this is how the book ends. This short little couple chapters where we've been seeing these guys fight back and forth. You've got to be evil. No, I'm not. I'm, I have integrity. God's the, God's the one that does it. He's mean to everybody that he wants to be mean to. And God finally shows up and he divides light from darkness. No, this is who I am, Job. To which Job says this in the very end of the book, Job 42. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He's repenting before God. Now, is he repenting from doing sinful, naughty things? Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like I didn't do sinful, naughty things. But what he's repenting of, outside of the knowledge of good and evil, he's having a mind change. And his mind change is on the very most absolutely important thing anybody can see. I've thought you were somebody that you're not. You've asked me who's uttered these things that are without knowledge. These things that are too wonderful for me. I've spoken out of turn. I did not know who you are. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said you will question me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I repent. I've heard about you and I thought I knew you and I was teaching people about you and I was even teaching my friends about you even when I was going through all of hell being broken loose on me by your adversary, the adversary, his name. And I attributed it to you because I've heard of you and I thought that I knew you, but I don't, but I know that I didn't know you, but now I see you. 
And that was my fault. I'm, I, I had you wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that, you mean this all wasn't you? So that darkness, he gives and he takes away. I've been attributing things to you that were never yours. I've been doing that to you, and oh my gosh, my bad. That, that's not you. I've heard about you, but now, what's the most important thing? In Christianity, in the church, when Jesus first even described what church is, he's asking his disciples, Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Hey, Job, who have you heard I am? You know, who have you heard that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist got raised from the dead, or one of the old prophets, the Elijahs, or, you know, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you see me as? Peter, you are the Christ. You're him. You're the son. Ah, oh, blessed are you. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal this. But your father who's in heaven. You've, you've, you've got this through relationship to me. What is he saying, Job? Job, you've been saying all these naughty things. I counted a sin. I'm going to throw you into hell. No, Job is saying all those things. But as Blake likes to point out, he was constantly addressing God. Is it okay to question God? You should never question God. It's like, no, bring your questions to God. He's your dad. You know what I mean? He engaged God. Even when he's like, I want to talk to him. He probably won't even talk to me. He'd probably tell me I was wrong if he did talk to me, but I know I didn't do anything and he's the one that's wrong. He does these bad things. He felt those things in his heart, but it was, it was, he still says that he had integrity because he refused to curse God. You know? He stayed in relationship. He stayed knocking on that door. And the reality was the whirlwind, in the whirlwind, God has his way in the storm. This storm was attacking his whole life, but God was in the very midst of it. And the, and the key, if you can see it, was to find him and to see him and to know him. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, when you know this, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but your Father in heaven, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. When you know me as I truly am, because you've come into relationship with me, you'll be unstoppable. And all the gateways, all the inroads through which Satan spews his darkness over the earth, guess what? You're going to crack those gates down. By what? Spiritual authority? We've got to Shundai Hyundai for an hour every day, read eight chapters. Do we need to fast six days a week and, you know what I'm saying, eat a burger on Friday night? I don't know what, jump through a hoop, what I don't know. <laughs> Some weird covenant, cut a dove in half and jump over it. You know, all these weird little things. We've got to do any of these things. Like, no, you got to know me. And if you know me and enter into a relationship with me, and you see me as I truly am, on that rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will prevail. People that actually know me as I truly am, the gates of hell won't be able to stop them. What's that mean? Because they will recognize the authority that I've given, given to them in, in the cross, in the, in the redemption of all things, in my spirit, and they won't put up with the crap that he's selling. The devil, that is that he's selling, that he's releasing. And so here's Job coming into the knowledge, kind of like what Peter said, I'd heard about you, and I've been talking a bunch of bad stuff about you because of what I heard and what I thought and what I attributed to you, but now I've seen you. I repent in dust and ashes. It's like, dude, you, you mean we had to sit through all those arguments of that play, of that movie? And God comes and you see him as he is and instantly the thing reverses. That's exactly what I mean because that's exactly what happens. It says afterwards the Lord actually, <coughs> you see what happens. He actually talks to, his, to, to Job's friends who have been accusing him. They've joined in with accusation. They've been accusing him the whole time. He's like, hey, now I'm, I'm upset with you guys. You need to ask Job to pray for you. He's righteous in my sight. You need what he has. He's got a revelation you need to get. You need to get what he's got. Instead of kicking him while he's down, thinking it was because of... Think about what we just talked about. I believe that was John... I don't know. 9. The beginning of John 9, I think. It was right after John 8. Yeah, John 9. Who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. He's like, huh? I don't think that way. That the glory of God would be revealed in him. Like, why are you looking for a reason? Why are you looking for a root that you can blame the guy for the condition that he's in? You know what I'm saying? Do you need to know that knowledge? you got to name the demon so you can cast it out. You hear all these weird, strange, Christianese type of stupid things. And it's like, listen, man, that the, that the light of God may be manifested. That's the reason darkness exists. In your mind. It's just like, if it's dark, it's like, boom. Well, that ain't right. The gates of hell should not be able to prevail. We should take up our authority and actually run it out of town. 
Well, he gives and takes away. And I've seen it all the time. I've seen, you know, somebody's kid dies on the internet. And I have friends that are like ministers. And I'm like, oh, we, we prayed. And, and they would sing that song. The Lord gives and he takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The kid died. And it's just like, the Lord didn't take your, take your kid away. He didn't give that kid some condition. Are you kidding me? We're singing songs that Job's getting in trouble for, right? Job's getting rebuked for, and we sing them like it's actually the Bible. It's like, yeah, it's in the Bible, but it's in the Bible to make a point of God saying like, yeah, that ain't me. That ain't me. I'm not the give and take away. You know what I mean? It's just like Abraham's going through the same thing probably simultaneous as Job. You know, he's 100 years old, has a kid. Like, all right, bring him up and sacrifice him. Like, huh? For what? But to make that point, to make that point, I'm not one of these pagan gods, the other Elohim of this world. I provide the sacrifice. There's a point being made here. I provide the sacrifice. And guess who it is? It's his self. It's his own son. It's the son of God who is with God and is God and is in full agreement with God. You know what I mean? Philippians 2 says he, he morphed into the image of a man. Like he, he took on the, the, the image of a man and was obedient all the way through the cross. It's like, it's like Jesus provided all that from us so that we could see him fully all light and goodness and kindness and he's called us not to tolerate things. It's like, this is the root of like intimacy and connection with God. A lot of people feel like they can't have this relationship, can't have this connection, because they're scared of this, of this kind of schizophrenic God that could be wanting to give us good or could be wanting to give us evil in order to teach us a lesson, you know? But you got people like James, Jesus' little half-brother, most likely, saying things, <coughs> excuse me, in the very beginning of James, of like, count it all joy when you... In when you encounter various trials, when you encounter pressure, it doesn't say God's actually smacking you down. He's like, hey, you guys are going through stuff, but count it all joy and understand that, that there's this ability for you to actually lock yourself in to these things in a way that you connect to God and they produce this faith in you that you're more established in God. He goes on, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. It's like God is the good one who gives the goodness. Even when you go through trials, lock into Him. Get what He's wanting you to have in the thing. You will overcome it. There's no trial that happens that is not meant for us to manifest the glory and redemptive nature of who God is. We're called to flip every trial onto its head. That's the way that it works. He didn't give your kid that disease. He didn't give you that. You know what I'm saying? That's not his will. You know? It, you know you, you've got Jesus talking about, maybe I'll close with this, because we could really take this probably for several weeks, but Jesus says things like, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you've received them and you will have them. It's like, hey, have this faith. Believe in the inheritance that God wants you to have. Put your belief there and you'll actually have what you ask for. You know? What does he say? If two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there amongst them. If they ask anything in my name, it'll be done for them. Jesus says that. But that's, that, that is the contrast of what Job said. The Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, well, that's just the way it is. And it's like, no, because what Jesus said is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is blessed be the name of the Lord, but it's not blessed be the name of the Lord because he gives and takes away. It's hallowed be the name of the Lord. It's like understand that his will is light and it is goodness and it is love. And if it's not those things, we are called to, to return to sender. We're called to stand in that truth. Even when it's not manifesting the way we want to, we're going to count it all joy, understand that it's a trial. I'm going to lock down and believe in the will of God for my life. And I'm going to speak that by his stripes, it has been done. There has been healing. And we're, that is what I'm going to put my life on. You know, Because I believe in who he truly is and I believe in his will. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have. That's what the whole thing was about. According to the will of God, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's one thing Job didn't understand. He was saying something without understanding. He gives and he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But what he did not understand is the name of the Lord is, is Jesus. Jesus is the name of the Lord. 
That's why in the Bible, you know, Jesus says, go, go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then everybody that gets baptized in the Bible gets baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. It's like, oh, he didn't do the Trinitarian prayer like Jesus told him to do. It's like, no, Jesus is the name of Father's not a name. Spirit's not a name. It's a Holy Spirit. Is that a name? Jesus is a name. Does that mean Jesus doesn't have a father? Are we Pentecostal holiness now and like Jesus just is the father? You know what I'm saying? No, I'm not saying that. You know, we see the baptism of John. We see that there's a dove and we hear the voice of the father. We see the son. You know, Jesus prayed to, prayed to somebody and there's a, there's a great mystery. There's this reality, but Jesus is God and his father is God. And he was with God in the beginning. But Jesus is the name of the Lord. They understood this. When God talked to Moses, when he talked to Joshua to obey the angel of the Lord, he's going to lead you into the promised land. What did he say? He said, my name is in him. This isn't an angel. This is the name of the Lord embodied that's leading you guys. It was Yahweh. When Jacob wrestled the angel, what did he say? Tell me your name and I'll let you, bless me. Tell me your name. And what did the angel say? Why are you asking me my name? It was the Lord. It was Jesus, the embodiment of Yahweh. And when Jesus went away, Jacob was like, I've seen the Lord and I did not die. He knew it was Yahweh. Gideon saw him. And then Gideon was afraid he was going to die after he saw the angel of the Lord. Oh my gosh, I've seen God. Because the name of the Lord is Yahweh. It's Jesus. It's, it's him. That's why I'm baptized many people here. It's like, you know, we baptize in the, in, the, in the one who is the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus. That is the biblical. I mean, it's just the way it goes. We don't have to fight about all that kind of stuff. You can do Father, Son, you know, well, I kind of hit, hit them both, but anyways, <laughs> Jesus, it, it meant more than a name. It meant like the entire essence of who God is, is the name of the Lord. And here Job's saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, which is a great saying, but he attributed the name of the Lord to things that weren't the Lord. And Jesus is saying, now hallowed be the name of the Lord. Understand the name of the Lord. When two or three are gathered in the name it isn't a witchcraft incantation. I speak the name of Jesus on that thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you're abiding in the will of the name of the Lord. And you can speak the name of Jesus. That's the best name in the world. But what I'm saying is like, there's more to just like some incantation that we can say. Yeah. You know, the seven sons of Sceva try to cast a demon out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches and they got beat up and stripped. You know what I mean? It's because like they weren't in the name of the Lord. They just used the name in vain. Yeah. The name of the Lord in vain isn't saying GD all the time and... JC, you know, when you stub your, th you know, uh, you know, the name of the Lord in vain is attributing things to the, to the Lord that are not his. That's the issue. And we're coming to see who the name is. And it changes the game of everything. It changes intimacy with God because we know we can trust him. It changes faith. It changes what James says. If you, if you lack wisdom. Let him ask God who gives liberally without reproach, but ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is, is like a wave tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he should receive anything from the Lord because he's so full of doubt and if God's going to give him good or not going to give him good. It's like the whole Bible is about this saying, see the Bible, even the Old Testament, through the lens of Jesus Christ. See your life through the lens of Jesus Christ and understand that he is the will of God for your life. You know, and take the authority. It's interesting that that book ends. Job takes it doesn't say how, but as soon as he articulates who God is, I, I thought I knew you, but I didn't, and now I do. Boom! What happens? Everything's restored double. He's more successful. He's more wealthy. He has ten more kids. You know what I mean? He lives a way longer life. It's just like, but it wasn't like he did that and then he started to rebuke the devil or. Da, 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 da. It doesn't say what happened. It says that he attributed things to God that were not God. When he saw who God was, everything was restored. And that's the point. That's our point of our life. 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we see him as he is, without a veil or misconception, thinking he's somebody that he's not, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We step into our inheritance, the one that he has for us to live. Amen. amen. I amen myself on that. <laughs> but that's fine. But Because... It's a camera right, right, right behind it. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth, Lord Jesus, that you are the will of the Father for our life. That you are not the enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But you've come to give us life and abundant life. The real success of Jeremiah 9. 
let be let us be those who see you as you truly are transformed now. even as you said in Jeremiah that we our glory and our boast and our success would be this that we know and we understand you more than anything else and by knowing you and understanding you we take the authority that you've given us to take in this world and we reverse that which has no place in our lives in our family's life in our friends life in our community's life that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail because we know you And so thank you, Lord. We love you very much. Amen.